Amen. As you're seated, if you have a Bible, grab it, open it to that passage, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 19 here in a moment. So one of the things that um, is a frequent discussion between my wife and I is my need to go in and have a checkup. The reason that's frequent is because I don't do it. Um, and so it's kind of, she, she has a year to get me into it, I think. And uh, she's failed last year. She's, she's probably going to succeed this year. But we all know we need to do that, right? I mean, we need to get health checkups. In this day and age, we know that there are times when probably going to come for all of us, if it hasn't yet, where they're going to, you know, shove that pipe cleaner up our nose to check and see if we have COVID, you know, scratch the bottom of our skull trying to check that thing out. And um, we, we need that. Now, that, that test... And I haven't had it yet. Um, thankfully, I haven't had to. I haven't got that kind of level of exposure. But we all know that that test can't take away COVID, right? It, it doesn't, you know, they shove the thing up your you know, nose, scratch your brain, and you magically don't have COVID. No, it can't take away COVID. It can't heal COVID. It just tells you whether or not you have it. The same way a checkup doesn't magically make you healthy or anything like that. But it, it can tell you, hey, something's going on here. And when we get those results back from whatever test it might be, it shows us, it diagnoses what's going on in our body. Uh, You're healthy, that's good. Or you're not healthy, you need to address some things. And what Jesus does, I think, in, in these three little sections, just a couple verses apiece, coming right on the ends of teaching us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, and then teaching us that we're not as good and righteous as we think we are, as, as he goes through and works through the Old Testament law and the way that the religious leaders of his day were twisting it to try to make themselves look better. And then after the Beatitudes, showing us where our hearts are and where they ought to be, he, he throws these three kind of scenarios, three, um, two analogies and then one, he just kind of comes right at it, that diagnose where is our heart. Where are we at? And so I hope you'll, you'll walk through this passage with me today and listen as it diagnoses us. And some of the things it tells us might not be what we want to hear. Brag on Chad. He did his appointment when he ought to. Turn 50, set the appointment. And lo and behold... He had cancer. But because he listened to that diagnosis, he actually went to the doctor. He did what he was supposed to. It was curable. He had surgery. It's over. He's doing great, trying to decide whether he's going to go out and paddle in the sunshine this afternoon. Had he not listened to the diagnosis, it wouldn't have gone well for him. We know that, right? I mean, that's obvious. Don't let us do the same thing spiritually today. Don't let us hear what the good doctor says and ignore it. So let's go to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 19. So the the first diagnostic question to see where our hearts are at is where is your treasure? First question, where is your treasure? Let's read Jesus' words again in verse 19. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? And we uh, had Halloween last night, and I'm sure there was a pirate or two in here, and we're not talking about walking through a treasure map, trying to find everything, but, but where are we keeping our riches? What is most precious to you? And we all know investing in the future is important. None of us want to be a burden on someone or lack when disaster strikes. But I'm guessing that you're like me. And you probably check your investments and your bank account more than you check out your heart. What Jesus is telling us is we've got our priorities mixed up. He's telling us things like moth and rust destroy these things. Everything we're investing in, everything earthly is going to break down the second you drive that new car off the lot it starts to plummet in value and it keeps going till someone puts it in a crusher and it's smashed i grew up in denver in denver they used to salt the roads and i don't know if you know this denver occasionally gets snow like twice a week you know and so you could tell the cars that had been bought and driven in the era where they used salt because they had holes in them like Literal, you could see through the fenders. And there'd just be this line of rust and little dots and holes and some of them big holes. Nobody wanted one of those cars. Everything we touch here on this earth is going away. That thing you want so bad will not last. talks about thieves stealing the unforeseen can take it away from you nothing is sure the stock market can take a tumble and does regularly gold it's hard to find the house always wins if money is your hope you're just sitting there and tap dancing out onto the quicksand It's not that the money is wrong, but the question is, where is your heart? Are you trusting more that your investments are going to mature or that Christ is going to be faithful and kind? You know, we all have this hope. We, you know, we think we work hard, we, we do what we're supposed to, we put the money away, and then that day comes, you know, when we're 65 or 67 or 82 or whenever it is these days, that then we're going to retire, and then it's going to be good, right? How many of us have our hope there? How many of your investments are internal? What in your day is putting things up with God in heaven? How much of your day is spent sharing the good news that's going to have eternal consequence? 
How often do you actually even pick up the Scriptures and invest in your soul? I want to tell you a story. 1810 Scotland. A pastor was working hard in his study. And we're talking Scotland, so, you know, in honor of Sean Connery, he's got to have a Van Dyke beard and an accent that makes him smarter, no matter what he says, right? But he was hard at work preparing his sermons, caring for people, and he came across a little pamphlet by a man named William Wilberforce. I hope most of you have heard of him. Um, He was perhaps one of the greatest parliamentarians England has ever seen. And his pastor was a guy named John Newton. He wrote this little song called Amazing Grace. It's pretty catchy. You might have heard it. Um, but under his guidance, William Wilberforce single-handedly spearheaded the effort to end the slave trade in England. He was the one guy in Parliament that kept bringing it up. He had others that would help in time and then fade away and help in time. But he stood through it until the slave trade was abolished in England. And people started treating people with different skin colors like they had the image of God in them, as the Scripture says. But this pastor got one of his little pamphlets and he read it in study for his sermon. He was brought to his knees. Because he realized that he loved himself much, much more than he loved God. He loved his own fame. He wanted his prosperity. And he thought he had it made because he was in the quintessential cute little Scottish village pastoring some sweet folks. He realized his treasure was in the wrong place. That afternoon, the pastor was saved and trusted Christ in his study, preparing his own sermon. His church begged him to stay, and this man we now know as Thomas Chalmers eventually penned and preached and then turned into a pamphlet himself, one of the greatest sermons preached since the close of the rite of Scripture. I want to read you a little section of the expulsive power of a new affection. This is the first couple paragraphs. He, he says this about people trying to learn to live for Christ. There are two ways in which a practical moralist may attempt to displace from the human heart its love of the world. Either, in other words, one, a demonstration of the world's vanity so that as the heart may be prevailed upon to simply withdraw its regards from an object that's not worthy of it. Or, by setting forth another object, namely God, as more worthy of attachment, so that as the heart may be prevailed upon, not to resign the old affection, which shall have nothing to succeed it, but to exchange an old affection for a new one. I know the language is old in there. But I hope you get what he's saying. He's saying that that when our hearts are set on the world and all the stuff and all the things and all the possessions and all the, all the, all the power, the fame, the fortune. It's not just that we have to say, no, bad John. That doesn't work. We just come right around to it again. 
Chalmers tells us exactly what Jesus is getting at. Our heart devotion, our heart affection has to change to something better. There has to be something we want even more than the stuff. And that's Jesus. He says when we see who Jesus is, we want Him more. Now I want to ask yourself, I want you to ask yourself right now, where is my treasure? It's really asking yourself, where's my heart? That's what Jesus says. And, and I want to be very candid. We're, it's Tuesday's election, and I've never seen an election like this. It's not that it's unprecedented. This has happened before where there's been such animosity, such, such heated conversations, such division. It's not new to America. It's new to us, our generations. But let me ask you some questions. If your candidate wins, what will that do for your heart? Where will your heart go if your candidate wins? What about if your candidate loses? Where will your heart go? What does that say about where our treasures are? Abraham. He was a rich man. So this is not about money. It's about what we think of money. Abraham, a rich man. God calls him and says, leave your village, leave your people, live, leave everything you've got and follow me. I want you to go someplace I'm going to show you. I'm not even telling you where you're going. He does. He walks around. He only ever owned enough land to be buried upon. He owned a gravesite. But in retrospect, the Bible looking at him and what a hero he was to our faith says he was looking for a city whose foundations were not laid by human hands. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. What are you looking for? Who built what you want? Where's your heart? Where's your treasure? Second diagnostic question. How is your vision? How is your vision? Verses 22 and 23. Let's go to the scriptures. And if you have a Bible, look with me there and read this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Been to Dr. Fred many times, and I know many of you have, our, our resident optometrist here. And you know what he tells me every single time I go? You need glasses. It's not real exciting. Same thing. My vision's blurry without them. I don't see clearly without my glasses. And I know that many of you, some of you have astigmatisms, some of you have other vision problems, some of you all, all the way to blindness. But, but we all recognize we need to take care of our eyes if we possibly can. And if we can't, there, we have to do something radical to correct for that. Our eyesight is extremely important. 
We're all concerned about it. Um, met with Daryl this week. We were talking, we were playing a little bit. He was showing me how to do something. And he at one point said, now, and we both wear glasses. This is the one point where I put on safety glasses because it's actually worth it. We don't want to lose our eyes. Just day-to-day life. Hey, we're going to be careful. Some of you know I love woodworking. I will wear a full face shield. I don't even wear eyeglasses. I wear a shield over my head. Yeah, I was wearing those before everybody else was. I'm the cool one for once. We take care of our eyes because they're important, right? And Jesus says, hey, how's your spiritual vision going? Here's diagnostic question number two. How is your vision spiritually? When's the last time you sat down in Dr. Jesus' chair and he asked you which is more clear, number one or number two? When was the last time you let Scripture take you to task and not said, oh yeah, they need to hear this Scripture. And you said, no, I need this Scripture. How do you view things? Do you view them as to what's best? What can I get out of it? Simply pragmatism, what works? Or do you view them in light of Christ? Do you view things through the lens of Scripture? Are we seen properly? I want to give you an example, again, very practically from the election this week. Um, Two articles came out, one a week ago, John Piper, um, another one this week by Dr. Al Mohler. Both godly men, both brilliant men, both PhDs, both written more books than we could count. Godly folks. They disagreed about how to handle this election. Now, now these guys agree abortion is wrong and must end. It's dishonoring the image of God. It's murder. They, They agree that there needs to be freedom of religion. They agree on all these things. But as they processed all this stuff that Scripture says, and when it, when it steps beyond to, okay, the Scripture doesn't say this exact thing, vote for this person, or don't vote for this person, they disagreed. And they were really kind to each other about it. They said, I know he said that, but I have to disagree with him. And here's why. Here's here's how I see the Scripture teaching. And these two were kind and gentle and gracious. But then I read the string of hundreds of comments on both of these. It wasn't one or the other. It wasn't that all the Christians thought this was better. No, no, no. It was, you're wrong. How dumb. He's abandoned the faith. How could he? He doesn't know Scripture. Well, that one's dumb. Let me just tell you, both of these guys are geniuses. They just attacked viciously because this person didn't agree with them. I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, when we're doing that, our vision is way off. Even when we disagree, about, and this is an important thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to de-escalate the election. It's important stuff. But when we viciously attack a brother or a sister, even someone who doesn't believe, our vision's off. Do you want to know how Jesus sees stuff like this? Let me me just read it to you because it's very obvious. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Where was the mourning? For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Words humble, gentle. Where was that? For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall reserve Receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want to ask you, where in the world were the Christians when people right on Facebook were calling names declaring the judgment of God on godly people. How has the vision failed that much? There's such a difference in how Moeller and Piper gave a great example of how to disagree. And those who responded gave a horrible example of how to disagree. You see, there's a difference in how we see things between declaring somebody a dirty rotten dog who's wrong about everything saying I, I disagree with you brother let's reason in the scriptures together I've seen so many others tell lies to make an argument for their viewpoint this election season question is how's your vision how do you see this stacking up when the results come out tuesday night wednesday sometime next year who knows when those results come out and your guy whoever that was your guy didn't win did jesus mess up now, I know, we wouldn't say that, right? I mean, we're all too good, of, you know, too good at Sunday school answers. And Jesus didn't, no, I don't. But really, like, where's your heart? How's your vision? If your guy loses, did Jesus mess up? Our hearts are so easily drawn off. Our vision is so easily clouded by the stigmatisms of things we want. Our comfort becomes such a big God. My wife, many of you know, grew up in Romania. It's really different talking to her about some of these things. But even more so talking to her dad, who lived most of his life under communism. Communism's not a good thing. Did you know that? He didn't really enjoy it. (laughs) My wife didn't either, the time she was under it. But you know what he told me many times, and my wife has observed the same thing? Boy, the churches were stronger under communism. Nobody had anything else to turn to but Christ. People prayed harder. People sung harder. And they were desperate and hungry 
to hear the word of God. I hope and pray it doesn't take something horrible like communism to get our attention. But if our vision only sees my side has to win, or really, Jesus, you kind of messed up. Our vision's off. Last, who's your master? Who's your master? Verse 24. I don't know if any of you have seen the videos. They're quite amazing. And I'm not a huge boxing fan, although it's interesting to me. It's amazing to me. But um, they're doing some throwback fights. Now, that sounds weird. But what they're doing is they're getting old dudes who are in retirement from boxing and saying, hey, you want to get in shape again and fight? And we'll give you a bunch of money. And you know what all of them said? (laughs) And um, the biggest match is between Jones and Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, he was a beast. But I don't know if you'd seen pictures of him from about a year ago. I mean, kind of, (laughs) well, looked a little bit more like me than Mike Tyson. Um, Got a little little chunky there. Gotten a little old. He he was just chill and relaxed. Kind of almost hippie acting. And now he's back in training. And I mean, dude's a beast again. And I saw a video of him. And he's always been famous for, I mean, he's just power. And he was, he was coming in with all these hooks. But he throws this one punch and it comes off his back hand. And you see his whole body twist around. And that thing, it comes across. It's not, it's not straight out. It comes across. And he was practicing, kind of sparring, sort of, on, with his trainer. And his trainer is in like one of those things that looks like the dog protection suits. It's, you know, like four inches of padding. And he actually has a plate on his chest. And you see Mike Tyson come around with that hook and just pop him, and he goes flying back. Picks him up off the ground. He's not a little dude. I mean, just beastly punch. Well, Jesus has not been tiptoeing around with the first two, but he comes out like Mike Tyson, and he swings the big old killer haymaker. And so I want to ask you to do something today. I want to ask you to let yourself get hit. When Jesus swings the haymaker, feel the impact. Get thrown back. Let it hurt a little for our good and our health. So verse 24, he says it like this. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, not all questions in life are binary. Yes, no, black, white. Sometimes we try to force questions on people and and force you into one group or the other. You know, like, what's your favorite ice cream? Peanut butter, fudge, ripple, or you're wrong. Right? It's true, but, you know, we shouldn't do that to other people. Some questions are not that. But we do the opposite when it comes to God. We don't want binary. I've got me a little Jesus, you know, enough to not go to hell. And then I kind of got some other stuff too going. I kind of like this. I kind of like this. We want to walk that fence line. And Jesus comes and says, oh no, 
It's, it's very binary. There's only two options. Jesus is wanting to see that a question of ultimate allegiance only has one or another answer. There's not a spectrum here. We may want a little Jesus in a little of our own way. We want God's laws when we agree with them and they make us feel good because we kept them. Maybe they make the bad guy on the other side look even worse. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. Jesus says you can't have two masters. Ultimate allegiance is by definition ultimate. If a particular allegiance holds your life, that's the final control. See, Jesus goes so far as to say you will hate one and love another. You'll cling to one, you'll despise another. And what Jesus is saying to me and to you Some of y'all, some of us, hate God. That's how hard the haymaker comes. It's not just that you got a little, I'm kind of a little distracted. I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of, I need to do a little better. Jesus says, you hate God. You despise Him. Don't let this miss you. Some of us need the radical diagnosis. Hey, you've got spiritual cancer. Wake up. It's time for radical action. Your diagnosis is not good. Again, I don't say this to beat us up because it doesn't feel good. But it doesn't work out when our hearts are torn. I once had a job where I had two bosses, like two literal direct report bosses. I reported to this guy, I reported to this guy. Both of them thought they were my boss. So I never knew what to do. I never knew when I should be there and when I actually got some time off. And guess what? I was miserable. I didn't know what to do because he said one thing. He said, What's, which, wait, wait, you know what the solution to that is? Resignation letter. <laughs> that's, that's, that is the way you succeed in that job. It doesn't work. If your heart gets pulled by the money, by the power, by the fame, by the success, by the comfort. Oh boy, Americans, we got to watch ourselves on this one. We love our comfort. If your master is that, you don't follow Christ. So let's get to some solutions. I don't want to end on that dark note. Again, when when you get hit by something like that, you need some smelling salts, and I want to deliver the smelling salts too. Who's your master? Some of you may realize, just like Thomas Chalmers, a preacher, that you've been coming and you've been sitting in the charcoal chairs, even though you've got to wear the silly mask thing in, all, all the difficulty, you sit weird, all spread out. You've still been coming, but you realize in your heart of hearts, you don't know and love 
Jesus. We, we talk about the big R repentance of, of turning first from your sin to Christ. It's a change of allegiance. You're, you're turning and hating the one master, your sin, and falling in love with the other. God of the universe who came because He loved you to save you from your sin. You're trusting in Him. You're, you're placing your faith. You're repenting of sin placing faith in Christ. Some of you need to do that today because it's never happened before. And my prayer is you would talk to me or Joe. Now Sarah's sitting right here on the front row too. There's others. We would love, love, love to talk to you about that today. But for most of us in here, most of us in here, we've done that big R repentance. But today, moment by moment, Tuesday, Wednesday. Who's your master? Where's your heart? How's your vision? Are are we going to do the little R repentance work of, of yes, I've trusted Christ, but boy, my heart got pulled this way. I'm not seeing things right. I need to get back to the scriptures. I need to refocus on Christ. Will you pray the Lord's Prayer? Thy kingdom come and thy will be done this week? Will you sing in your heart, Jesus is better? Some of us may need to just put that on repeat in the cars for a few hours. Jesus is better. My heart's prone to wonder, so Father, bind my wandering heart to thee. Let thy goodness like a fetter, like handcuffs hold me. Some of us need that today. Some of us need to do that little our repentance work. Think of my grandfather. He died uh, this May. He was one of the most focused people I've ever met. He had on the wall And he quoted frequently, Joshua, choose you whom you will serve this day. That's what he did. He trusted Christ as an adult, a young adult. He followed him. Served 50 years as a deacon. In his eulogy, the pastor of this church, now a guy about my age, said this of my grandfather, There were many, many times this church was saved by granddad because they were about to abandon the scriptures and he stubbornly wouldn't let us. Can that be said of your hearts today? Have you chosen whom you're going to serve? Are you turning to Christ? Will you fight that moment-by-moment sin? Will you fight that moment-by-moment worldliness? Will you fight to see things right? Could a doctor find your vital signs? I want to read the last sentence of that same sermon. By the way, this little book, um, it's the sermon. A little bit of a guide to that. There's a couple of them back there if you'd like one. If this this pricked your heart, I challenge you to read the whole thing. It's, It's very, very good. 
Chalmers says this, May we die unto this present world and live to the lovelier world that stands in the distance far away. Where's your treasure? How's your vision? Who's your master? Father, we come and we fail so, so, so often. Father, forgive us for putting our treasure in all the wrong places, for having a very worldly way of seeing things. And Lord, living as people who despise you instead of following you. Praise you, God, because you are so good that you died for people like me. You died for people like all of us. And we are so thankful. Lord, we fall upon your throne and we say, save us. We say you are better, Jesus even though we know that everything will pull against that this week. But Lord, may we declare it today and fight for that all week long. And we sing to You now that we want You, Jesus. May we sing that from a true heart. Lord, I pray that You would save the lost here today that don't know You, that haven't done that big R repentance yet. And for those of us who do know You, Lord, Help us to turn and turn and turn over and over to You, Jesus. It's in Your name we pray.